0: Welcome to Finding the Way, episode two, the podcast episode that we're going to do. Uh, last time we talked about Meg Runnies, which was a critically important one to our industry. Uh, one that's probably equally important and why it got placed up here early on in the podcast stage is talking about curbapill. So... We're going to go into a deep discussion today about curve appeal. It's a both simple and complex topic in terms of simple in its concept, complex in its execution. So there's going to be a lot to discussion. Joining me today are two regional maintenance directors, Thomas Nicholas in our Florida market, and Brian Inney in our Texas market. We're going to do some quick introductions, then we'll dive right into this. So Thomas, we'll start with you. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself. How you got into the industry and kind of what you do.
1: Yep, no problem. Thanks, Forrest. Um, so, my name is Tom Nicholas. I am the regional maintenance director in Central Florida. Um, I got into the industry back in 1993, so quite a while ago. Um, reason I got into it was actually uh, it was uh, a family thing. My father uh, did a lot of work in downtown Chicago, and uh, so it was kind of uh, something, a path that uh, was meant for me at that time. So right out of high school, I kind of got into this industry. Um, Had an apprenticeship program with a local 399 uh, out there. So um, did that for a few years and uh, started working at hotels and commercial properties. And then back in about year 2000, I took on my first supervisor's position. And uh, that was at a small commercial building. And um, during that time, I acquired my high pressure boiler license. Uh, My CPO, uh, EPA, Universal. So I've had all those for quite a while. Um, But back in about 2009 is when I got into multifamily and uh, took on a brand new high-rise in Chicago. It was uh, 848-unit twin-tower high-rise that we built from the ground up. So I was involved in the construction for about a year and a half until we took over and then uh, grew into a regional role with the company. It was Lincoln Properties and uh, stayed with them for quite a while. And, um, you know, came over here and uh, here I am. So, uh, just uh, been kind of a whirlwind. It seems like it was just a few years ago I got into this and now I'm looking at 30 years. So, it's kind of crazy.
0: Oh man, you're uh, getting into that grizzled ancient status there, (laughs) Tom.
1: I feel it, I feel it.
0: All right. Well, Brian, same question with you there. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into things.
2: Well, thanks for it. Oh, let's see. I was actually sitting on my back porch one night. I think it was a Friday. It was a Friday night I was sitting on my back porch drinking a beer and uh, I was very well, what I thought was I was the very first person to live on this property. I was the first person to move in, but apparently the the lead of that property moved in right after me and uh i remember ever hearing the hey, I was like whoa, what's going on? I looked down, there's this guy down there. He's like, hey, you looking for a job? And I was like, I mean, how much does it pay? He's like eight seventy five, and I was like, well, what do I got to do? He goes, when well, you pick up all the dog mess and you change some locks and make an apartment look pretty. And I was like, all right, cool, great. Let's. Where do I start? When do I start? And uh, he goes, we'll show up on Monday in the office at eight o'clock. And I was like, all right, cool. So I was there at seven thirty, and uh, apartment. It was a uh, UAG was the management company. Uh, Pretty decent. I mean, it was a brand new property. So I was going to be their make ready slash assistant kind of thing. And uh, my mentor there, uh, his name was Thad Hollis, actually a really nice guy, taught me a lot about the industry in the short six months I was actually at that property until it sold. Um, but it was a brand new build and he got to show me all the changing locks, you know, all that fun stuff. And I was just getting out of high school at that point. So that was like around 2007. Uh, so it's been 15 years now. Um, and uh, after that, you know, I went to, actually Lincoln was another property that I worked right after that. And uh, they helped me get my uh, CPO and also got me, me uh, my EPA. So I got my universal EPA there. Um, and then just kind of worked my way. Uh, started off as a, a porter, obviously make ready, kind of an assistant role. After that, I went to a strictly make ready. And then from make ready, I actually went back down to housekeeping for a little bit and then back up to another make ready, an assistant, then lead. And then uh, regional. It was funny because regional is actually the job I've always wanted. Because when I was coming up through the industry, I had a lot of issues with people above me not wanting to teach me anything. Um, mainly, just I guess out a fear of be replacing them someday, and they didn't like that. So a lot of the stuff that I learned, I learned firsthand by setting things on fire, damaging some compressors, and learning from it. But uh, you know, even with pools, same thing. You know, just learning through all that. Um, so remember, in our
0: interview process you kind of vowed at that point that uh if you were in the regional you wouldn't do that same thing you would actually uh exactly things
2: differently yeah i would manage people differently i would treat people differently and i want to be the one to teach these people the proper way not kind of just i'll teach him so it goes away and you know he'll be happy and i can move on so um that's pretty much my history i mean and here i am today i'm actually loving the company i'm at right now so um, hard work does pay off.
0: You probably had the world record shortest interview uh, there in terms of sitting on a back porch. Uh, hey, it looks like you got a pulse, and you want a job.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> but I guess kudos also to that, uh, that on site lead there in terms of taking the initiative and just kind of taking a random shot at seeing if somebody is looking for some work. Um, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting way to get into it. Uh, it's always fascinating because there's so many different ways people kind of fall into the industry, uh, as it were, and goes into that. Um, I, I would ask both of you guys maybe the same question here in in line of your, your history and your review. Uh, what do you think made you successful in terms of being to continually elevate through the, the staffing? So to go from Porter to regional, like what was it? Brian, for you that allowed you to kind of continually level up and and not stay at uh, any particular one position? Is it a drive Um, on you? Is it something that you specifically are aiming at or what is it?
2: um, It was a drive, actually. So my biggest thing is, like I said, when I first found this entry, Thad taught me everything, well, not everything, quite a bit. Um, And then as I moved away and, you know, worked under different leads, I saw the way the different, uh, you know, kind of teaching and the, the management skills they had, and my thing is, I wanted to get to the top, and you know, as fast as I possibly could, and learn everything on the way up, so I could change these things that I didn't like about the industry. Um, so that was kind of my driving force: is I wanted to see the change um, and not just keep the way the industry was because it wasn't working very well then. I mean, there was quite a few processes that didn't make sense. Um, you know, the management skills from some of the leads, it wasn't that great. Um, there was no accountability, it's kind of lack of leadership, you know, those things that you still see today. Um, but I wanted to get up there so I could change these things and, you know, try to make my mark on the industry as big as it is. But, you know, my little niche here in San Antonio.
0: Tom, what about you? Like, what was it that kind of let you persist kind of through the, or up the ladder, if you will?
1: Well, kind of like what Brian said, uh, the drive was always there, you know, uh, the you know to learn more. But my thing was, you know, when I was getting into certain roles, um, you know, you never master anything, but you feel really comfortable that you've done your best, that you know, and you uh, you need to go to the next level. And I kept watching other people and kind of, you know, seeing what they were doing and wanting to learn more and more and more. So, you know, uh, it was basically kind of the passion to grow and learn more. And uh, when I got up to a supervisor's role, um, I started interjecting myself into a lot of meetings that I really wasn't always invited to, you know, there was owners there, there were investors there, and I kind of slide into those meetings, you know, and just start learning from them and listening You know, how the uh, how the systems work and how the program works. And how do you buy these properties? And how do you invest in this? And, you know, how do you run it from an owner standpoint? So my passion, you know, turned into learning more and more about the industry. And um, trying to understand it more, so I could take that and uh, help you know other teammates and help them understand you know when they have those hard questions you know well why can't we do this or why isn't there any money in the budget or why is this and I try to Leo I've learned enough now where I can explain it to them from an owner's perspective saying we got to look at the bigger picture we got to understand how they are running this property and for my you know for me it was just that constant drive to want to learn more and and understand the industry better so.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a passion involved um, in that and i like how you inserted yourself inside those meetings because yeah without kind of peeling back the bell and i think brian you talk about it a little as well where are looking at those who were leading you not necessarily giving you the information or you know forcing you to work into it we can all take that as a leadership lesson like involve everybody on your team and these bring people into those meetings and start working to elevate them up because not only does it elevate them, uh, it ultimately elevates you and uh, definitely grows into that. Well, thank you guys for the introductions there. Uh want to dive right into it. And I thought maybe the first brooch of entry onto this was going through the information posted in Fuse. And so I'm going to read this off of our Fuse article here on CurvaPill, and then we'll kind of open the discussion. So the first policy point the properties to pick up clean and free of debris at all times. The purpose, create a positive ambience for our current and prospective residents, which will have an impact on their desire to stay and live in the community. The second policy point, common area spaces and amenities are to be functional and safe. The purpose, reduce and mitigate risk for residents, teammates and guests, ensure residents can enjoy the features and values of the community. Uh, It goes on to say, the concept of curb appeal applies to all amenities and common areas. In general, it is the responsibility of the property manager and maintenance supervisor to ensure all common areas amenities are clean, functional, and safe. Words that we would want a resident to use when describing these areas are very well kept, polished, spotless, pleasing, or sparkling. So there's kind of a lot in a few sentences in there in terms of talking through that. Uh, The words clean, functional, and safe kind of resonate on it a couple of times. But I wanted to start this out by asking a general question, which is, when you guys are thinking of curb appeal, what comes first into your mind and why?
1: Um, Well, for me, the first thing that comes to my mind for curb appeal is the whole thought of a prospective client resident. Or even owner that that has you know when they pull up to the site, it's their very first vision of the site. When they when from they pull up off the street and they're on the you know the drive pulling in, they're starting to judge the site. They're judging the site uh, personnel, uh, you know, our performance and the overall look of the place. So coming in right off the bat, you know, um, is that first impression. So my thing has always been first impression for the guys, you know. I looked at it as an example of if you're selling your house, you know, and you're putting your house on your market and you're letting people come into your house, you know, you're not gonna have garbage all over the place. You're not gonna have, you know, uh, you know, clothes laying in, in the front entry. You're not gonna have, you know, some beat up car on your driveway because they're gonna give you bottom dollar for it. They're gonna say this place, you know, I don't wanna live here. I don't wanna be part of this. You know, they pull up to an area that's got nice flowers, beautiful landscaping, you know, uh, um, just that look to it nice and clean, then it's appealing, you know. So it's always first impression to me when I talk, when I think curb appeal, you know, in my mind is, is first impression of the site and the site team and how they handle it. Oh, Forrest, you're on mute.
0: Nah, I got to <laughs> do it at least once. My- <laughs> so you, you talked, uh you talked about it in a couple senses there, you talked about, how that looks for the residents coming in. So a prospective residents trying to determine if this is a place they want to live. You also talked about it in terms of property owners. Um, a big part of our strategy, um, you know, our our whole goal to grow, right, in service of our vision and mission, requires us to get other property owners uh, interested in how ResProp manages. So one of the key ways they do that is visiting the site. Um, we, we've had prospective, uh, ownership groups actually contact us via the fact that they've toured our other assets. And so those teammates there are really serving the ability for us to grow by keeping a well-maintained property because even an owner comes in and looks at that and says, aha, these guys are doing something right. So I, I was really glad to hear you talk about that in terms of the, the owners and what they're seeing. It's a good sign of like how the the overall management is going just on that curb appeal piece. Uh, well, Brian, what, what's your, when you think of curb appeal, what's the first things kind of pop in your mind? I know Thomas already kind of took a couple of the, the good ones there. So what
1: yeah, is it for you? sorry, pressure's on you, Brian now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, like you said, first impressions are everything. So, um, like you said, I mean, in the bigger picture, it's like, okay. You, you want to have a good curb appeal because you know, there could be a prospective owner who's actually shopping your property and looking to buy a property down the road, and they might not even have a management company. So it's a good reflection on the management company um, and the big picture of things, because that might be an opportunity for us to pick up another property, just by the way our property looks somewhere else. Um, also, you know, I'd add in with the curb appeal, like even the pools, I mean, that's technically part of your curb appeal, uh, at least I feel like it is and um you know there's some prime examples i could use but the main thing is you know you can look on your paperwork you can say oh hey we have 22 traffic in one lease why is that well people are going to not tell you the truth and be like oh well you know it's out of our price range or oh it's just a little further than we thought it was going to be or we need a bigger floor plan but the truth is a lot of times they just tell you that excuse because they see how the grounds look and it's a direct reflection of the team on site and how they're going to be handled so if your maintenance team is not handling the property and keeping up with the pool and the, the ground and stuff like that what makes you think they are going to take care of the your apartment so when i look in the shop properties that's what i'm that's what i'm looking at it's like okay well this property pool's green okay I have trash here and there so if i have issue with you know there's obviously going to be no preventative maintenance if they can't do this and if i do have any issues they're just going to kind of sort of fix it kind of do a, a botched job on it but just get it going for now i mean so I think all that just kind of comes together uh, for curve appeal for me. That's um, just all the things that I think of personally, um, but curve appeals everything.
0: So you you talk about from both of your perspective, right? You're in the industry, so you kind of look at things that probably a more critical eye. And in other words, Brian, you you look at it and say, "Hey, if they're not doing this, they're probably not going to do this." And I I wholeheartedly agree with that. I also think that even for those that are um, you know, not in the industry, they get a gut feeling that maybe they can't quite put their finger on it, but if they go in and they sense something is dirty or they see that it's there, like they not might not know why they're thinking this is not the right place. It just kind of comes intuitively. of like, hmm, this is not kind of where I want to live. I want something that is better. And uh, that it doesn't really matter what asset class you're talking about, right? You could be a C, a B, an A. You're going to have that same level of expectation going into that.
1: Well, also, what goes with that? Not to stop you there, Forrest, but um, you know, Brian was talking about you know, you know, some of these. You know, I'm just running off of that. Going resident retention is a big thing also with that because you know, if we're in the you know world now, uh, currently where rents keep going up and there's adjustments and all that and the curb appeal and the amenities and all this stuff is never taken care of and it looks bad. You know a a resident's gonna have a hard time saying hey you know I want to stay here but if this place is taken care of like it's supposed to and and all the things are are up and running and it's beautiful when you approach the you know your home and everything then it's a lot easier to retain our residents and keep those numbers where we want them to be. So resident retention goes a long way with this too.
0: Yeah pride of where you're living Uh, knowing that you can invite friends over at any time to go grill out at the the barbecue area and that it's going to be clean and available and you can plan on that. Um, That's big or just take a nice refreshing dip in the pool. That's big as well. Well, I mean, that's a good orientation of kind of like why curb appeal is important. Maybe I can ask you guys to put the Wayback Machine on and when you guys were supervisors, walk me through kind of what your process would look like. Maybe from a, Showing up there in the morning. So, think about it from a morning perspective like, how do you, as a maintenance supervisor, as a product manager, how do you think about and how do you approach your pools, your grounds, your amenities um, in contrast to everything else that's going on? So, where does that rank in terms of the priority of getting things done? Um, and kind of how do you set your time and schedule for that? How do you plan?
2: So, when I was a supervisor, typically my thing would be first thing in the morning, I'd come in. I was gonna you know, kind of collect everything up that I needed to get done for the day with my workhorse stack, get those printed out and done, and then hit the grounds. So I'd be out there. Um, I'm more of a teamwork kind of guy. Uh, that was one of my things I hated when I came through this industry is there was not a lot of teamwork. It's you do all this, I do this, and he does that. Um, I'm more of teamwork, so I was like, hey, you know, let's get my team together. We're all gonna split up the grounds. You get this section, I'll get that section, and you get this section. It kind of keeps the accountability of you know, if there's any issues with this section, we know who to go to. And like, hey, man, you know, next time you kind of miss this area over here in the bushes, if you could just pay a little more attention, then we're good to go. Um, so grounds were always the first thing for me. Um, shortly after that, once again, for my teamwork, I like to do the rotating on the pool, not just one person does a pool, you know. Um, the industry standards typically, oh, your porter does the grounds and pool. And, you know, in the summer, that can be a lot. Um, because I know when I was coming up to the industry, that was my thing is I had to take care of two pools and the grounds and it was 52 buildings that sat on what, 17 acres. Um, so about three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd finally be finishing up and it could be in Texas, 107, 112 degrees sometimes. Um, so I wanted to make sure when I was a supervisor that we all rotated, we all split up everything. We were done usually about 10 o'clock with the grounds and pool. And then we would plan out my day, so I would you know delegate work orders. Um, I'd also do work orders, you know, team effort here, in my porter or my maker. We'd get the maker and we'd we uh, we hit the ground running. But the like I said, the curb appeal is the two main things. So the pool and grounds, also your grills could be included on in that. You know, making sure they're clean, cleaned out, gassed up, um, so all uh, that. That's how my day would typically run.
1: Yeah, mine was similar. I mean. Um... First thing in the morning was definitely always grounds. You know, uh, obviously, if there was any emergency uh, things that we had to deal with, you know, that took precedence. But uh, uh, grounds from the entrance of the property, you know, all the way through all the amenities, and then we also made sure that the tour path, if we had a uh, designated tour path for a model, uh, for our, um, you know, for our leasing, you know, uh, people to walk, so we made sure those areas were, you know, done correctly and nice and clean. Um, And then we go into the models to make sure the models were done. I know that, uh, you know, depending on the site, you know, some of my sites had teams where we had enough people in the office where they'd have like a sparkle bucket and they would go in and, and, you know, clean up the the models when they got a chance and and everything. But um, it was our duty to kind of do everything from uh, from the curb all the way back to the pools and then into that tour path and then uh, the models because you know, once again, it, it's it's everything for these uh, these new residents coming in to look and, uh, you, you you know, it's first impression, you know, with all this. So that was ours. And then once that was done, yeah, we got into the, the, the rest of the day, but uh, priority was always kind of setting up your day, setting up the pool deck, getting your chairs lined up. Um, we always had, you know, a certain way we would line up the chairs, you know, just, you know, getting that overall look, you know, to make sure uh, it was appealing to everybody.
0: You see, uh, oftentimes, apartment communities will use the term luxury apartment living, all right, uh, or something like that. And when you talked about lining up the pools, uh, the chairs in the pools and keeping all the thing, that does go to the feeling that you're almost at kind of a resort or maintained like a resort-like atmosphere, right, where when your pools and everything are sparkling and set up, it, again, that goes to your pride as a resident, knowing that that kind of sets up. I'm curious, Tom, you, you said you would start out grounds first and you then you caveat it unless there's an emergency uh, what sort of emergencies would take you off of getting your your grounds and pools done first and-
1: well we've we've had sites that we've come in and uh whether there's uh, a power outage a storm um a water leak you know um you know you don't know what you're going to walk into you know with a lot of these uh, multi so um you know, you you hope that you come in in the morning and everything's quiet on the home front, but uh, you know you walk in that front door and there could be some residents there already waiting for you, you know, for for an issue. So um, in the summer, you know, we get a lot of uh, air conditioning complaints. You know, uh, so not saying that those are aren't emergencies, but you know, you got to look at also like the size of your crew and and the sites. You know, we you take that into consideration because. If you have multiple guys there, you can still have one guy on uh, the grounds while somebody else takes care of an immediate work order or immediate need on the site. But um, I've walked into sites that have all different types of, you know, uh, needs right off the bat. And you get diverted really quick because it is, you know, like I said, if you have a power outage, you have uh, a bad storm coming through, uh, you know, any of those things could could cause you to divert slightly.
0: So in those cases, like. um power outage or something like that, that that's fairly extreme. Uh, some of the things you started talking, I kind of scratched my head a little in terms of saying, is it just more of a planning function uh, in terms of that when it comes to like HVAC or other requests. Um, one of the, the things that I think sees, I see as a potential trap is that curb appeal in terms of the landscaping grounds and pools gets deprioritized to doing some of these work orders, which are important work orders, but also you can still get to. And um, so in a strategy, for example, that I had implemented at, uh, pretty much every site I was at was looking at the time and scheduling of the teammates and when they were coming in, and then also how we would consider just workday staffing. So for those that are going to listen to this, this is something, you know, I think they should evaluate for their sites. Uh, in Phoenix, you know Nevada and everything like this, it was pretty easy for it to get hot really quick. And so Brian, you had made the mention there, and this happens in San Antonio, Austin, and our Florida markets like as well, right? you could be three o'clock, and if you were the only person dedicated to grounds, it could take you a significant chunk of time. Well, much like you, Brian, we split all those duties. Like it wasn't a porter's thing to do the grounds; it was everybody's. Uh, including the supervisor, was out doing the grounds and them the grounds. So we actually adjusted our start schedules. Uh, we adjusted them to 7 a.m. starts. Um, one, it gets hot quick in Phoenix, it gets hot quick. and uh, So we wanted to be out there hitting these grounds, taking care of the big bulk trash that's piled up or something overnight or, or anything like that and getting that taken care of. Uh, so we would do that early in the morning. The other benefit to that is it did help us avoid Resident interactions uh, in terms of residents showing up at the office. So if you show up at the office and start at eight thirty or nine, most people are kind of out and getting into it. So you can get tucked into resident interactions really quick. A early start schedule lets you focus wholly on the grounds because not a lot of the residents are kind of up and out. You'll still see people walking their dogs, and it gives you a chance to say hi and you know be friendly with them. But that was one strategy we had. Um, the other strategy that we had to help avoid that is, and I hear this a lot, of how bad Mondays are on our sites. And it's kind of like, oh, man, we're, we're dealing with the weekend, Mondays come around. And uh, that was never a factor on the, the sites that we ran because we ran seven-day-a-week staffing. Even on sites with only two individuals, we would run seven-day-a-week staffing, and we would split the schedules so that somebody was there either a Saturday or Sunday, and there was only a three-day overlap. And the biggest benefit of that is we never had pools turning green because the pools were taken care of. We never had trash building up because the trash was taken care of. And the residents had the same feeling of their property seven days a week, not business hours. Um, So if you find yourself struggling with a big Monday load or you find yourself struggling with, can I get to it? It might be time to evaluate your hours of work and figure out what the uh, the utility of that is, and I think the biggest pushback I've heard at times from that is the argument that, well, what do we do for residents that show up at five o'clock and they have an emergency, or and maintenance is gone at four, right? So if maintenance is checked out at four, what are we doing those last two hours that we're open? And the response I always had to that is, well, you you treat it like you would any other emergency, you have somebody that's dedicated on call, and if it truly is an emergency, okay, we'll handle it as such. Um, but that is a strategy that. Can be deployed to help alleviate the push on the curb appeal and avoid loading up Monday as such a bad day. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or feedback about that strategy or experiences with that.
1: Yeah, um, definitely, Forrest. On that, you you brought it up. I had a property that ran, you know, uh, a staff twenty four seven. You know, so we had cleaners at night uh, that worked with the maintenance staff. So. You know, sites like that where you basically have somebody there uh, that frequently um, really, really helps with the curb appeal, like you said, and the pools, all the amenities, because you're constantly uh, paying attention to it. Um, We do currently have, you know, a a property that we're working on uh, a similar, you know, seven day a week split, like you said, uh, three days with two guys and uh, the rest just single guys, because we do have that Monday morning uh, trash issue. And um, we've been trying different ways to alleviate it, and it's gotten to the point of, you know, we think the only way to do it is to have some help there over the weekend. So, um, but yeah, no, I love the idea. I think that that helps tremendously on certain sites. You know, a lot of sites don't need it; they're not necessary. But uh, there are certain sites that uh, it becomes very useful. And I've done it in the past. I I think it's a great idea because uh, the residents they they get comfortable knowing there's somebody there. The emergency calls are down. Uh, you're you're you know. Uh, just the attention to the residents is, is greater, so they like that.
0: Brian, any thoughts on that?
2: No, I agree with him. Um, uh, look, I've never actually had any uh 24 hour properties, <laughs> that would be uh, that'd be pretty insane. Yeah, that's uh,
1: Chicago for you, Brian. That's downtown Chicago. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> High I'll rises.
2: I'll stick to San Antonio, <laughs> but uh. No, I think it's, uh, yeah, because staggering those hours, like you said, it's still, we're still on call 24-7. So even somebody not being there, um, there's still always going to be somebody that's going to show
0: up. So let's talk a little bit about uh, strategies or ways we can kind of make sure we're, we're getting it all done. Um, and and maybe before I go that, I don't know if I hit it well enough, but the idea of what, where curb appeal ranks in the prioritize and execute scheme of things, um, it's at the very top, right? So you cannot ignore that. And it does, the reason I was asking the question there, Thomas, about um, you know what type of emergency is, is it should take a very significant event to dislodge you from your curb appeal activities the picking up of the grounds the taking care of the pools those things have to be done every day um, regardless and so you have to plan to schedule for that and you can get to a point of apathy where you start skipping things you're like yeah i don't have to get to that today or maybe i'll let it slide um, and that's a dangerous thing because the next thing you know you're letting it slide one day two days three days and then you're forgetting it
1: yeah no i agree with you on that um when I was saying big emergencies, you know, um, part of my mind goes back to some of my high rise days where we didn't have individual AC units. We had chillers and uh, we had boilers. So if those went down, uh, it was a significant reset and getting the whole property back up online for air conditioning or heating. Um, so those were the thought processes when I was going through that saying there was a significant issue uh, because we walked into those properties where all of a sudden, you know, you nothing's on, it's stagnant. And then it's kind of, uh, hey, okay, we got to get into the systems, figure out what's going on, And then we regroup and get back out to the curb appeal part of it. But I agree with you, uh, we can never let that part of it slide. You know it's got to be something significant.
0: So with you guys as regional main instructors, I'm curious, you don't you're not on the sites every day. You're there frequently, but you're not every day. So what are the things that stand out to you guys the most or typically when you show up? two sides
2: uh, for me it's when i get out of the truck and look at the front of the office and see what it looks like you know you drive-in like uh i kind of said before like you're driving that's your first impression um and that that's mine as well it's right when you get out uh i'm acting to an example this morning i got off at a property and found a beer can that said ice house right on the path that goes in it's like oh no see so that i, I but, but this is also 630 this morning, like I'm an early riser. I get out there and I like to see what the property looks like before anybody else gets there and kind of gives me an idea of where everybody's heads at. Um, but yeah, seeing that, so that's like the first thing I see. And then going into the office, you know, as weird as it sounds, I look at trash cans. Are they full? Have they been taken out? They're kind of half full. Where are we at with that? Like that kind of demonstrates like how small the details that you want to get down to. But it's one of those things that I noticed. Um, like Tom said before, um, you know, having the the refrigerator, there's you know refrigerators, things like that, having them stocked up with the water, and you know, grab the spark uh, sparkle buckets, what I believe you called it, uh, making sure the office is touched up. Um, I know some sites have like you know housekeepers and stuff like that, making sure they're all in that. In the first thing, but my thing is, what's the what's the front of the office look like? What's the drive-in look like? What's what's that fence coming down the main road look like on the outside? Um, that's the biggest one that I look at. Well, and that kind of goes
0: into a question that I had for you guys, which are areas that I think typically get missed. So you guys kind of zone in right away on high touch areas, right? Uh, the place where you're getting uh, residents coming in and prospective residents. So I am kind of curious what you guys see on the the areas to be typically missed.
2: So for that one, uh, guaranteed almost all of them do this. It's going in between the AC units and the bushes, any of the landscape that kind of grows up, which is funny because they miss that a lot, but I have, I could say in my lifetime, I've probably gotten over $300 easily. on just finding money in those bushes cause they never go back there and bushes are the number one catcher. It was awesome. I actually worked at this property called Meadowwood on Micron and Claybro over here. And there was a CVS or a Walgreens, I know CVS right there at the corner of it. And there's always bushes right there in the front of the garage. And I was the only one that would do grounds, this one that had the 52 buildings. And it's hilarious because I was the only one that did grounds. And I swear I got over $300 for that property alone. Just almost every weekend, I'd catch a five. There's a few times I caught a 20, but mostly ones and fives. And I made some good money. So I loved it. I'm like, all right, cool. Here's my bonus for the day. <laughs> nice.
1: Uh, the thing I see that gets missed a lot and uh, it's a little pet peeve, you know, thing I have is the pool the pool deck, you know, uh, just setting up the furniture like we had talked earlier about the resort style. They may clean the pool deck and they may take the garbage out and make sure the, you know, everything's on the hooks and all that, but the furniture's not set up. It's just kind of, you know, sitting there moved around and, you know, you know people shuffle furniture around. And every time I talk to one of the guys, they're like, oh, you know, People come out there and they move it and i'm like well if you walk out on the deck it's easy just to slide it right back to where we have it and just it's just that look you know what i mean and there's just something in in my mind that's always about that look when you look out on the pool deck and it is set up and everything's lined up and it looks good it just gives that luxury look you know and um they always seem to miss those it's just those little details you know they may get the big stuff, but. Uh, I get into the little details and the minutiae sometimes that just kind of uh, eat at me, you know, and uh, it's just kind of back to that mindset of looking at it as, as the big picture. You know, if this was yours, you know, how how would you want to get people in here and uh, get your clientele, you know, base higher and, you know, uh, just keeping people there. And it's just all of, always about that look. So for me, it's always been the pool deck. Pool decks get missed a lot of that little details.
0: Uh, one thing I'll, I'll piggyback on you there, Tom, is the idea that after you've done it once in the morning, you kind of walk away from it. Uh, that's something we definitely have to make sure we catch ourselves on because it is an all day event. Um, and if you have a lot of pride in your in your property, you see that little piece of paper rolling across the parking lot after you get picked up and you're like, ah, get the picker right there. And, you know, we always carried a picker and bucket on our golf carts. So we always had it ready to go any time of the day if, we saw trash it's getting picked up right then and there dumpsters started to get a few bags on we don't drive by it we're picking it up throwing it in right there and, and just like you said the little thing of you're walking out through the pool area you see that that chair askew slide it back into the spot
1: right keep that yep. thing right and in. then the other thing i do like when i get to the site usually you know early in the morning you know i try to see you know the first thing i really do is i drive the whole site you know, I don't just pull in and stop at the office. I drive the whole site just to get an overall look of what's going on, you know? So just to see if they're out there doing it, see if there's anything that's missed or or, or not. But uh, the other thing I like to see is, you know, uh, and every site does have uh, little differences with this, but, you know, is the golf carts out front? Are, are the, is the leasing cart out there? Is it clean? Is it ready to go to take a prospective client around the property? You know, uh, are our guys' carts cleaned up the right way? cause they pull these carts up front. And if you've got a maintenance cart that's just beat up and there's trash all over it and everything else. And they just park it right up in front of the the leasing center looks horrible. Can't stand it, you know? So, you know, it, once again, it just take, it's that pride, like you had just said Forrest. you know, taking pride in your, your site and taking a little ownership of it, you know? And, uh, but I, those things, it just, I'm like, come on guys, you know, let's do a little better here. So,
0: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> kind of talking a little bit about as you guys as you guys took the realms uh, or the the range as a maintenance supervisor, or maybe even when you guys were on, on site as a technician, um, an analogy that I've been recently using here is like how do we set the right expectations? And then as a supervisor, how can you make clear those expectations? And the analogy that I give is this. If you are a parent, and you have kids, you'll probably sympathize with this and for those of us that were kids once we could probably sympathize with this as well. And the analogy is the being asked to clean a room or asking your kid to clean a room. As a parent, you can go by, you can see that the room is a disheveled mess. You got clothes and everything scattered and all this. And so you can ask your kid, hey, I need you to clean your room before you do anything else. You walk away thinking you've done a good job of saying that, and you kind of walk back by. And next thing you know, you see your kid back up on the bed, phone in the hand, and you say, What are you doing? Your room's not clean. And they look at you confidently and say, Nah, I cleaned this. And then you look and you say, Well, but the trash can's full. It looks like you just stuffed everything in your closet or under your bed. The floor hasn't been vacuumed. What do you mean you cleaned this? And I use that analogy because. It's a simple one to think about: setting expectations. Like, does the child know? Uh, you know, does your kid know what it means to have a clean room? And have you been clear that clean room means your trash can's empty, the floor's been vacuumed, your clothes are hung up, there's nothing underneath the bed? You know, all those things. So, I'm curious: as you guys were supervisors, how did you set those expectations with your teams? Um, or how were they set with you when you were a, a teammate? And then how did you kind of continue to reinforce that? Because I, I can hear from both of you guys are nitpicky on some details. How did you, how did that come about with you?
1: Um, how would it came about with me, like talking to my teams about it and getting them to understand that? Is that the question for us?
0: Yeah. So how would you, if, if you've got a new, new property you're taking on as a supervisor and you've got a new team and you're you're setting expectations, you know, like how would you do that? Uh, and I yes. asked the question of how was it that experience when you were the technician on getting that expectation set?
1: So, what I used to do was, you know, and it's I, it's a pretty common thing or pretty basic thing. It's just by example, I always did it. I always just kind of forced it, you know, where I was always cleaning up after myself. I was always cleaning up around the other guys to the point where they were kind of more annoyed, the groups I was with, with the teams I, I had, where I was constantly cleaning up areas to. You know uh show them that you know a clean work environment you know is a safe work environment you know and um uh, it just the more and more and repetitive i kept doing these things with these guys then they started just jumping in and joining you know because they'd be like oh tom's coming gotta to make sure that this area is clean you know and it, it turned into a little bit of a joke but it also you know worked you know because these guys were starting to focus on that a little bit more but mine was just leading by example and just the repetitive nature of it of, of constantly trying to clean up after myself. And, you know, we would have uh, large mechanical rooms that um, I would make the guys paint everything and clean everything, whether it was the piping, the floors, the drains, color coordinated, do the whole nine yards. And they were always mad going, why am I wasting my time doing this? And I always explained to them, I said, listen, I said, one of my wise supervisors back in the day You know, I said the same remark back to him going, why am I in the boiler room for days on, you know, and cleaning and wiping pipes down and painting them? And he goes, because when it's all pretty, you know, all beautiful and all cleaned up and you see a drip on the floor, you see something over there, you know, there's a problem because there shouldn't be water over there. But when it's a messy shop and there's always water on the floor and there's always grease on the floor and there's always this and that, you're never going to know if there's a new problem that pops up. So clean, keeping a clean area and a clean workspace, and uh, you know a clean environment that you work in, whether it's the entire site, you'll notice the anomalies. You'll notice those things that aren't supposed to be there. You know, so for me it was just that repetitive thing with these with everybody, and uh, they finally bought into it. But it's not easy sometimes. You know, some some people by nature just don't like to clean up after themselves. So it's it, definitely a challenge on occasion.
2: Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that one too because um, we could even do a whole episode on this uh, time management. If you're clean and organized, you know where everything's at. You're not sitting there scrambling around looking for it. I mean, that's that's prime example of what you're saying. Also, with you know painting it, I mean, I, I hate painting boiler rooms stuff like that. But like you said, oh, well, I was there before. What is that? It's a. Uh, it, it, it that makes a lot of sense. Um, that also can go back and preventative maintenance too. Um, the way I like the way I did it like he said lead by example Um, I'm not gonna sit there and just delegate and tell everybody you do this and you do that it's going out there and actually doing it yourself too Um, so the way I did it was just being consistent stating what my expectations are and then following through and that's a big thing for me is the follow through if you say you're gonna do something do it Um, so you know I would be out there with them you know it's like okay it should take this long. I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna get these grounds knocked out. You know, this is what my expectations are. Look at my bucket, this is how I'm doing it, you know, get back and like you said, keeping the shop organized. That's another a whole other thing we could do. Another a whole other episode on just shop cleanliness. But um just keeping everything safe, organized, and it, it all falls together into time management, not having to search around for things. So um that's just my take on it. That's how I would always I would always keep a clean shop. Um, I can't even tell you how many times I would walk into a shop when, and, you know, a new company. And it's like, can I ever just find like the guy that's like me where I just walk in I'm like, oh, done. I don't have to do anything. I was always the ones throwing the shelves on the walls and getting the boxes from HD and labeling them, making sure it's all nice and organized in a row. And I had at least five of each and doing all that. I never to this day have gone to a shop and found somebody like me. And it's like, oh, thank God it's, it doesn't happen, fortunately.
0: There's hope. We've got a program. If we can get people to, uh, to kind of understand the, the necessity of that, or basically not the necessity, the benefits of it, right? In terms of how it makes your job easier and your time management so much better. Uh, there's hope. I'm, I'm with you there, Brian. I think there's hope.
1: Brian, we have a site down south uh, uh, in South Florida here that uh, the metrics are always number one within our group here, and uh, they're set up like you're talking about. You know everything every, everything is clean and organized and, and in perfect shape and it shows in their day-to-day operation
0: so don't just beat around the bush let's get a shout out to that uh, site there Tom.
1: that would be coral point so uh-huh. <laughs> coral point uh, uh they 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 have it down pat so they do really good
0: okay well let's uh, talk a little bit about some of the other ways that you can kind of help ensure this uh Tom, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the RESPROP checklists that are out there that kind of surround this. What's the intent of these checklists? How are they to be used? How are they to be thought of?
1: Um, the couple checklists, I, I mean, are we talking about like the make ready checklist, uh, uh, stuff like that? Isn't we that have an opening right and to?
0: closing checklist, uh, yep. which encompasses quite a bit of curb and pill type of items. Yeah. Uh, I have a quarterly community oh, standards. Okay. Uh, so some of these other type of things,
1: well, the checklist, you know, you're going through these checklists. We have them out there to keep people organized and understanding what they're supposed to be doing and kind of following a, a program here. Now, checklists uh, can get a little tricky because um, people get very comfortable with them and, you know, uh, can uh, get complacent with the whole checklist. But they're basically to keep somebody, you know, understanding what, you know, our, our processes and what the path is and uh, to keep these areas looking good um i'm a fan of checklists and i'm also kind of you know uh it, it's a double-edged sword with it because uh you and me for us have had these conversations over the last few days about checklists and and how people can utilize them for a good thing and a bad thing but i think they're good just on that whole this is the process this is the program these are the areas that are of importance you know whether it's a, a closing or close out checklist and um You know, I I just think it it helps lead them where they need to go.
0: So for those that might be curious about some of the banter on this, I mean, where they're definitely a good thing as well is if you're new as a supervisor with ResProp or you're looking to become a supervisor or you're a technician that wants to elevate the game, looking at those checklists is a way to help you understand some of the things to be looking at that you might not have thought about uh, looking at and how to kind of go into it. So it kind of sets up and says, here are some things to to go look at um, a downside of a checklist is no checklist could ever be all encompassing right so each property is going to have certain features amenities or other things that aren't going to be on the checklist does that mean you don't have to do it no um but that's kind of what some of the conversation that tom's referencing that we had brian i'm, I'm curious i know you haven't been relatively new to Resprop, you haven't necessarily got your heads kind of wrapped around kind of all of our various checklists and kind of sending into it. But how have you seen checklists used in the past and what's your take on it? Uh,
2: I think they're very good. Um, I know it usually ends up having people just don't like filling them out and then they just kind of get complacent and stop filling them out over time. But then that's when you start kind of going blind to the things that you would normally, because everybody's like, oh, I have the checklist here. I'll just memorize it. You can never memorize the whole list. Um, but i think it's for me it's been given even with my past companies because you can still have this memorized and have your routine of doing it but you know you can be in that one situation maybe for rush to this makerty and then you just kind of forget about it so it's nice to have that list you can see like oh well crap i forgot about the gfc i don't go ch- let me go check all these real quick it's just one of those things that it's kind of like last in your mind because usually not that important you never actually have to replace one it's very rare at least and um uh, so if you rush them through and you forget something like that, it's nice to be able to checklist. with and it's like, oh, okay, you know, I, I just forget about that. Uh, I mean, that's happened to me quite a few times. As much as I don't like filling them out, they've actually became pretty useful. So now I actually kind of enjoy using them because I know once I've checked off everything, everything's done.
0: Yeah, they definitely serve as a good reminder. And as you said, if you're in a hurry or in a rush, it's a good thing to stop back, take a breath, get a chance to orient on that. So... I love checklists and in, in terms of that as a tool. Um, you know, I use checklists in my own personal life. For example, when I go camping, I have a list, I have items that I generally keep in my camp gear, and then I have a list of items that I know I have to bring in every time because they're more of a perishable nature. And so when you're gonna go out and you're gonna be out for a couple weeks, or let's say you're going hiking and something, utilizing a checklist to make sure that you haven't forgotten anything there. And you know, fortunately we're in an industry that um, you can not afford sometimes to be a little accidental because nobody's going to necessarily die on some things. There, there are some exceptions, I'd say, in our industry. Um, but if you're an aircraft mechanic um, and you're, let's say, you're the passenger on that aircraft, would you rather have the mechanic that's just kind of going by memory, uh, making sure that everything's good? Or do you want to know that that aircraft mechanic actually went through a checklist to verify that all things are functioning? And yeah, it's
1: checklist, please checklist. <laughs> and so it's the same
0: thing if you're going you know you're getting that new home that the place that you're going to be calling home and we hope you call it home for years right you want to be able to know that they've gone through that with the the, the detail and care considering the fact that this is your home and the place that you're you're going to be living so those checklists are good. And then in you know when i say there are things that really matter uh, pools are a good example of a curb appeal item and amenity where it can be a life or death thing at our sites uh, if your gate is not self-closing and self-latching and uh, somebody wanders in or you know, whether that's a kid or what, and they go into the pool, they can easily drown, die and perish. It happens. Um, it happens more frequently than you would like. So that making sure that your barriers are good and that that gate self-closing and latching on the checklist, right, is something that you just can't ignore. In pools it's just one area that that can happen you can have stair rails uh, there's all kinds of things that can kind of go wrong on that and from a maintenance standpoint being good on our boilers and our other things from a safety and a hazard standpoint it's big so there are for those you know that are listening again there are checklists that are available that can help you down the path you should use them as a training tool and you should also use them just to make sure that you're you're double checking your day-to-day We do have some where we're saying, hey, make sure these are done. um, And you should hold them with, I guess, that level of accountability. Now, when I read at the beginning of this the discussion of the policy, I don't think you guys heard any policy points saying that you have to complete a checklist. Um, But the policy did kind of state that you have to be, and I'll, I'll kind of go back to it. The policy said properties that kept clean and free of debris at all time. And the policy is, spaces and minis are to be functional and safe. So those words, clean, functional, and safe. Uh, I wanted to kind of challenge the two of you guys to kind of help me disassemble how I might think about that um, at some of these areas. And let's go ahead and take pools, because that's a pretty big one. So Tom, if I'm not using the, well, if I'm using these metrics or these things, Clean, functional, and safe, and I want to apply those things to a pool. How am I going to apply clean, functional, and safe to a pool?
1: Well, uh, we'll start with clean. Uh, clean is simple. You know, you're you're looking at the pool. You're taking chemical tests. You're cleaning the filter. You're skimming the pools. You're making sure that there's no growth uh, coming into those pools. Um, and uh, basically, you're doing a visual on top of the chemical tests. You know, with it. So. And then you're also looking at the surrounding areas, the pool deck, you're making sure there's no broken glass, you're making sure there's uh, no other, no trip hazards on on the pool deck. Uh, we have, I've seen where the pavers have sunk a little bit or, you know, you got a, you got a broken paver or something like that. So you're looking at those areas that turns into safety, you know, around the pool, you know, when you start getting into the, the pavers. But uh, the cleanliness is the exterior all surrounding the pool and the pool itself. Uh, with chemicals and filters and stuff like that, um, the safety turns into. Some pools have a rope that go across because of the depth of the pool. So making sure the safety rope is is going across. Uh, is there a ring in the uh, in the area? Is there the hook in the area? Uh, are the latches and the gates like you had mentioned? Are they operational, working? You know, um, do you have the signage up around the pool stating, you know, uh, the pool rules and regulations? Um, so then you start. That's you know part of the safety part about it. Um, and then, like I had said, you know the actual pavers themselves or the pool surface, making sure there's no hazards there uh, that can get hurt. Um, so we had clean and safety. What was the last one there?
0: Functional. So if you think about functional, functional like how, how do you? What's the litmus for functional on a pool?
1: Well, functional goes almost back to you know making sure your filters are running. So uh, you know the pool itself is functional. Making sure you have uh, furniture there that isn't broken, and you know uh, where people can actually sit out there and use the, you know, the pool as a function. You know what I mean? Is there a handicap accessible uh, uh, a lift there on the pool? Is that functional? Does that work? Does it, you know, allow people uh, to to utilize the pool? You need it. Do your lights work? You know, uh, on the pool. You know that that's a, a part of the functionality. You know, for um, you know, the schools. So I look at those those areas, I know there's probably a lot more to it, but those are kind of the main points that I look at initially was, you know, uh, those are your big ones. I'm sure there's a few that I missed, Brian, you can probably jump in, but.
2: Yeah, so like uh, the checking the, the vacuum brakes for the uh that's a big one for me. Um, a lot of these properties, you know, that I've seen in the past, I don't even actually have that safety in, in, uh, in place. And that's actually a really big one. I mean, that's supposed to break the vacuum that the pump has on the drain. Uh, I mean, I've heard a few months ago that, uh, you know, there's some kids playing around, uh, granted they weren't supposed to be there, but they were playing with the drains in a lazy river. Well, it sucked him down, held him down there and he drowned. Um, and of course come find out there's no vacuum break. So that's a, that's a big one is like we said, the safety, which also kind of goes into the functionality of the pool. Um, you know, like you said, the shepherd's hook, the life ring. Um, I like to check to make sure that there's no cracks or the, uh, skimmer covers are actually set down properly. Um, I mean, we can go on for days for all about safety things. Like you said, the lights in the pool, um, making sure there's actually a GFCI breaker that's attached to that, not just a regular breaker. Cause if that trip doesn't trip, it doesn't sense water. It's going to keep feeding power to there and here, you know, could be 120 volts still gets you pretty good um so everything
1: some used pool, to yeah some pools have phones also they have the the uh the direct Good phones great. there you know yep. making sure those are active you know and, and working because uh, the last thing you want is to have a you know a 911 uh, accessible phone there that doesn't work you know and there's an issue there and they're trying to use it uh so we'll, you know we want to make sure if they if we have those on the site that they're functional you know that's that's a big one i kind of forgot about
2: that also goes back to putting it on the checklist, checking that once a week, because on uh, we have King, well, most of our properties have King's three, which I'm sure you already know, you just push the button that calls in, they ask you what your emergency is, and you just tell them to test the unit, they'll tell you yeah, loud and clear and give you your address and, and done. So just making sure all those safety things are in place. Um, like I said, the gate latches, all that, making sure the pool levels where it actually needs to be. So it reads properly, if it says three and a half feet, it needs to be right in between where it's actually three and a half feet. So all that, all that together.
0: So one of the great resources that I think our teammates have are the regionals and regional maintenance directors, uh, especially if you have questions about like what some of these terms mean or how they're being applied. So if I think if I'm being argumentative against why the policy of clean, functional, safe might not be like the best policy is, is that sometimes those terms could have somewhat different, uh, maybe shades of meaning to people. So what's clean to me? Uh, might not necessarily be equivalent to what's clean for other people. So there has to be a level of expectation set for standards such as clean, right? And that expectation has to be clearly driven on that. So uh, as a supervisor and as a property manager, you've got to know that you have to set what that level of expectation is for those type of things. Um, If I'm talking pool furniture, uh like clean on pool furniture means there's no oils or grease on any of the pool lounges that are out there that's a clean pool lounge um, functional is also one thing that i think is probably a little easier for people to get their head around in terms of uh what it, what it means to be functional that means it can you you know if you i was going to try to give a definition i'd say it can serve its intended purpose uh the caveat there is sometimes maybe you can jerry-rig things to have the same function, and it's not necessarily the way we want to see it. So uh, can you make something latch in a way that it's functional as a latch, but is that the best use of it You know, or the best way to do it? Maybe not. Um, That's one of the great things about our maintenance teams. These guys are very Philomo in attitude, so the making a way will come up and we just always have to kind of check ourselves. And then the safe uh, side of things is having the experience to know when something has a potential for risk. So there's a hazard assessment that has to go along with that to where people can understand what the downstream risks are. So in the example that you gave, Ryan, uh, there was probably a scenario where the, maybe that vacuum release was malfunctioning or not, maybe it was tripping off because it hadn't been properly calibrated. So the person maintaining that took the stance of, well, i'm going to take care of that by maybe wiring it out or setting it aside in favor of this thing circulating the water so that i could get disinfected and filtration into it and they did that and kind of went along their way not realizing that now they've created a potential hazard and risk of entrapment because they defeated a key safety feature of the system and so we walk onto properties all the time where these systems have been defeated already or they are non-existent. And so that safe thing is really something that you have to sharpen your uh, stance on and really be proactive to look at, to, to try to find things that could be hazards and do the hazard assessment game of what if, what happens if a child falls into this pool? Does the, the you know, does the phone work? Is there a shepherd's hook ready? Can I get the the buoy? So we don't often take the time we need to 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 step back and do those assessments, but as part of that criteria, clean, functional, and safe, you you have to be able to think through that. Any other thoughts from you guys in terms of the the basic standard of clean, functional, and safe? Is there a scenario where you guys can imagine that standard failing? from a curb appeal standpoint?
2: I'll let you take that one, Tom. <laughs> I do really don't have much else other than that, honestly.
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure where you're going with that one, Forrest, so we'll let Forrest run with that one. Yeah, I, I've met uh, from a curb appeal standpoint where we can see this failing, huh?
0: Well, and, and what I would argue is if, if I'm the new maintenance supervisor and
1: all I do
0: is keep in my mind, I have to make sure that this, my curb appeal and my amenities are clean, functional and safe. Can I go wrong?
1: Well, technically, you can go wrong chemical wise on the pool to keep would the it pool be safe? Crystal clean. Nope, it would not be safe. So. Yeah, I mean, too much chlorine in that pool to keep it crystal clear and looking beautiful uh, could have adverse effects. So uh, and and not be safe for residents to jump in. So,
0: Well, food for thought, I mean, and for those that go through this on Fuse, you guys can leave comments down below if you think there's a scenario where clean functional safe doesn't work as general guidelines. The concept behind that was to just put an orientation in people's mind of if I think about the big picture goal of what we're trying to achieve here, um, does it go there? And where I'm being critical of that is, again, what's the expectation level with clean? Um, what, What does it mean to be clean in there? And then you can argue a little more on that on the functional, like, is it really hitting functional in the area that we need? But in general, I'd say if things are functional. Uh, to their original intent or to the best intent, you're probably going to be good. Uh, there's a last little section that I wanted to kind of talk through, which are, which are other ways that, let's say, you are the supervisor that is trying to establish these. So you're the property manager or you're the supervisor that's trying to establish these standards. How do you go about setting that standard and that expectation for your property, or how do you go about kind of giving yourself the litmus to that? So we take over a new property, Tom. Uh, we've got a new, you're the new property manager in there. How do you go about just kind of figuring out where that property standard should be relative to the, the property itself and what's acceptable? Because, you know, you ran A-class high-rise properties in Chicago, right? So is that the right standard to run your property, uh, your C-class property there in Tallahassee?
1: Uh, no, I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, I look at it at two ways. Is you always want to achieve the best you can at your property. So you always want to level it up. Um, can you take a C class and actually make it an A class high rise? You know, uh, of course not. You know, that, that's not uh, uh, achievable. But can you level up your C class to make it the best it can or make it a B class with uh the curb appeal and the way that's set up and the way the property looks, of course you can. You know, and the way I usually do that is, or I would do that if I was coming in as a property manager is, I would set those standards. I would show our, our supervisors or our team, you know, what we want to do, how we want to achieve this, um, speak to our clients, speak to our regionals, you know, uh, give them examples of how to level up the property, keep it clean, you know, a lot of it is just hard work. A lot of it is just paying attention to the details. Um, you know, you're gonna run into the sites that, you know, financially you can't do some of these things. So you have to figure out a way around that. And uh, that's with service. That's with giving good service. And it's taking care of what you have there, you know, at your your disposal. So uh, it's kind of for me as if I got there, I would pretty much set the standard, walk them through it, you know, lead by the example and and do the best we can to level up a property. But yeah, I mean, take a C to an A. Now, C to a B, you could do it. You know, but uh, you know, it, it's a challenge.
0: Are the competitors in the market a good gauge of what your quality should be?
1: Well, you, I mean, yes and no. I mean, here's, I, I would say yes because they are your competition, and you always want to be the best. You always want to be the top dog out of that competition, you know, so you always want to see what they're doing and to be a a step ahead of them, you know. So, uh, yes, it it does make a difference what they're doing, but I don't always like to be compared to them. I like to stick within our thing and say, hey, this is how we do it. We try to do the best we can. And I don't want to be just compared to the competition there because maybe the maybe your comps are low. Maybe they're not real you know, powerful and strong in in your region. So you don't want to set your bar too low by saying, hey, I'm just slightly better than them. You know, that's not good enough in my book. I want to be, you know, better than everybody else around here. You know, so I want to be that, that, that site that people come to and say, hey, you know, this is a great place. You got to go look at that place. They do a great job. I don't want to be just one of the, you know, the same in the area and just slightly better, you know. So no, I mean, yeah, it, it is good to look at your comps, but for me, it's always like you don't, you want to make sure you set your bar way higher than that.
0: Brian, you've been nodding your head along on this. Did you have anything to kind of add or dispute on that?
2: No, actually, like I said, I'm about the same boat he is. Um, you know, in the past when I've actually, you know, taken over, you know, a new property, uh, I've usually watched my competition just to see what I'm up against. And what can I do better, you know, to make my property stand out over theirs. Um, so no, you he, he pretty much nailed everything on the head.
0: One of the great things about what we've been talking about is whether you're an A, B, or C, I mean, clean is a cheap thing. So picking up the trash, taking care of stuff, setting up the pool, keeping things neat, organized. I mean, that those are easy ways that don't take a lot of capital resources to, to set your, property apart and show the level of care that you have to kind of go into things so I always liked the fact that no matter what property I walked on and no matter what the constraints were we could do an immediate impact just by picking up grounds keeping things cleaned and organized um, wherever it was so I always appreciated that uh, I know we're getting on in this so I want to just kind of talk through one last thing here uh, and then open it up to any other general roundtables but we talk in our curb appeal policy about using your five senses when inspecting an area. I'm curious how much you guys actually do this in the day and day or maybe if you guys do this and but don't think of it. But we talk about using sight, uh, smell, sound, touch, and even taste when inspecting or evaluating an amenity area. Uh, do you guys find yourself? using your senses at, especially as you go in and let's say do your quarterly inspections or kind of going into that or or did you find yourself doing that when you were a supervisor
1: yeah i mean um i'll jump on a couple of these real quick sites was uh, is kind of a funny one uh when i was coming up through this industry i had a, a supervisor that would always i was i was you know 22 years old i was a younger kid and he'd always yell at me say stop looking at your boots you know you get your eyes up you know and I was always had my head down just looking and um he kept doing it to me all the time and I just never understood it and it was more of the look at look around you know he goes you just walk past the light fixture with a bulb out how could you do that you know what I mean or this and that because you're not paying attention so sight for me early on in my career got you know pounded into me saying pay attention to your surroundings don't just walk from point a to point b uh and and you know, go after that one thing you initially were going to. Like, I'm going to go look at the dumpsters. But on my way to the dumpsters, let's look around at the rest of the area. What else is going on around here? Let's not focus on just the, the task at hand. Let's look at the bigger picture. So, sight was always a big one. And then, sound, um, I always told the guys, you know, when you're working around equipment, whether it's HVAC equipment, whether it's, you know, fans, you know, anything, if it doesn't sound right, there's something going on here. You know, you, you listen to this stuff all the time. You're, you're in here every day. You know, people get complacent when they're, you're constantly in the same area in the same area, but you know, is that sound different than it did yesterday? You know, pay attention to these things because it does make a big difference, you know? Um, so sound and sight were always something big for me. And then smell is smell. You know what I mean? I, I, obviously if, <laughs> if something don't smell right, usually it's not right. But, uh, um, so, those, those are how I look at it. So, But, Brian, I'll let you take anything else on those.
2: Yeah, we well, you forgot taste, how about like tasting the coffee, man? Make sure the machine's working good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, I didn't tell you a story one time. It was an interesting story. Um, so, I used to work for a management uh, company called Fogelman. I used to work at a property called Costa Bella. And we only had one other sister property, and it was off of Camp Bolas in 1604. And it was hilarious because my uh, sister in law moved in there couple years ago and uh, i had to go pick up my kids there one time i remember walking up the staircase and i've been at this property a few times and i was like oh this is pretty decent some good shape but i was so damn impressed like i got out of the car i looked at the building i was like wow all the lights are lit up this is nice i walk up the staircase not one light bulb out i look up nothing in the fixtures i'm like wow this is actually impressive they, uh, instead of using the Valley trash cans, they actually had these really cool-looking bins. Uh, it almost looked like a storage bin, which looked neater than the stupid Valley waste kind of trash cans they set out there and the phone numbers and stuff. So that was my visual. I was just like, wow, I even left a review on their Google reviews because I was so impressed with it. Just how well-kept the building was uh, looking at it. Um, you know, as for sound, you know, like you said, with the AC units, I've had that quite a few times where you hear a compressor over there screaming, and Goodman's are known for this one. The capacitor goes out, you know, the fan spins backwards or doesn't spin at all. And you hear that just compressors and the overloads screaming. So, you know, you can hear these things like, okay, cool. Let me go over there and look. Oh, yep. The fan's not spinning. It's screaming. It's an overload. Got it. Um, and, you know, taste, obviously, it, it, as funny as it sounds, um, when I worked at uh, Wiregrass, we actually had this machine that would make like 50 different types of coffee and hot chocolates. You'd go on the screen here and do this. And I'll remember one day, I actually uh, did a hot chocolate. I love their hot chocolate, it's so good. And it tastes like crap. And I was like, what? Open opened up the machine, it hadn't been cleaned out. So like when Ford said taste, yeah, that was the first story that came to my head was that stupid coffee machine that hadn't been cleaned out the hot chocolate tasted bad. Um, and I guess, like you said, the, the, the last one you said feeling, um, you know, I guess the one that kind of pops into my head is, you know, when you're walking up and down the railings, and it's sticky that's like one of my just absolute like oh my god what's been on this railing <laughs> just just touching it so yeah using all the senses and and seeing and, and hearing and tasting touching it all of those yeah when it all comes together and it it still all comes with a curb appeal at the end of the day
0: well good um you know we we had a lot of conversation here on this. Uh, I am kind of curious what you guys think is, what is the enemy of curb appeal? Because most of what we talked about here, you know, attention to detail and everything like that, this all feels pretty straightforward. Um, But when you guys see problems with curb appeal, what are those general root causes of why curb appeal, you know, why the pools, the amenities, the other things, why those things aren't being done? um and then what do we do about that so why why doesn't this happen
2: um uh, sometimes like i i feel like it's a lack of leadership or you know even wanting to get out there and do it um i mean it's not like it's something you wake up in the morning like oh i'm gonna go clean the pool today i'm so excited i'm gonna do the grounds today um it's one of those things um that it's just it, it needs to be done um there's nothing exciting about it but at the end of the day it's a reflection of you so my biggest takeaway from that is got to make sure everything looks good um, and, and just wanting to keep the pride in your work is what it really comes down to at the end of the day, honestly. Um, I mean, it, it can be discouraging at some time, especially when you clean something and you go back five minutes later and it's destroyed, like the pool area, get all this like, you know, Tom says, putting all the furniture in the room, making it look good. And it's like, all right, cool. And then within an hour, you go back and it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> So those things can be defeating sometimes, but you know, um, at the end of the day, it's job security, if you want to call it that?
0: It's job security. I think it's all your mental attitude of framing what you're there to do, right? So you got to recognize that your job's there to catch that. And uh, the the acknowledgement is, yeah, this is going to happen. That's why I'm here is to make sure that when that happens, we're taking care of it and kind of going forward um when you're a perfectionist yeah it can it can be tough uh to see that but uh y- you have to look at that with the right attitude of hey we're going to go out there and uh, take care of these issues as opposed to these issues are happening to us we know they're going to happen so your your mental ad- uh, attitude on that's got to be the right one of like oh this this happened to me like no nah, I- i'm being proactive on this i'm taking care of this because i know it's it's out there we're looking for it, right? Our heads on the swivel. We're trying to find these things. We're trying to get those out. Tom, uh, why why do you see these things not happening?
1: Um, I think the biggest reason is excuses. People complaining they're too busy all the time. You know, uh, they, they 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 complain the workload is is too much. So they have excuses uh, which they try to use to uh, justify not getting this stuff done. And uh and that's a big issue because all it does is it compiles the problem. The more and more you ignore the pool, the more and more you ignore the trash areas, the more and more you ignore your grounds, uh these things just pile up. They don't go they don't go away. So the excuse isn't valid because if you just take care of your business at the beginning of the day like you're supposed to, it doesn't become an issue. So I, I think a big majority of the problem that we have is you know people thinking you know that oh you know i don't have time for this or i don't have that you know so that you know is a big driving factor why some of this does get done or it becomes a bigger issue you know so uh if we can get that thought pro- process out of their head you know and they can see the greater good here on how you know if they just pay attention to this stuff and keep up keep up on it it actually makes the rest of the day easier you know and you don't come into that Monday morning pile. You don't come into that, you know, green pool because you didn't look at it for three days. You know, because you were supposedly too busy. Now you're really busy because now you got to deal with your green pool plus the rest of it. So that's always kind of what I see being the reason.
0: Uh, you guys know one of my uh, favorite podcasters, Jock Wilnick, and one of his sayings that he says over and over is "discipline equals freedom." Yeah. Um, And that can be hard the first time you hear it to kind of understand it. But you talked about that, uh, that very point. If you want the freedom to not worry about or have the fact that your pool's hanging over and green and oh man, am I going to get in trouble and so and so is not going to be happy and the residents are going to be upset and all this stuff. The freedom from that is the discipline to take care of your pools. And uh, that's a key point. So I I like what you're saying there because you really can't afford not to to do that and all you do is you pay for a little free time now but you're going to pay for it in spades with lack of time down the road and uh, quite honestly some mental anguish to go along with that right that you you don't need to have for sure
2: yeah, and it compounds and then it just stacks up and gets worse and gets worse and then you start getting overwhelmed and, and here come more excuses like Thomas says just more excuses at this point oh it didn't get done because of this and Oh, I've had this and yeah, this issue, but all those issues come back to just like you said, making excuses for not doing it in the first
0: place. What well, anything else you guys wanted to talk about for curb appeal prior to us closing this out? Is there anything that you wanted to say that we didn't say?
1: No, not really. I mean, uh, I mean, curb appeal, like you said, for us at the beginning, is very, very important. That's you know, uh, you know, it, it shows the pride you take in your site you know in your property you know uh yeah it's just it's key for me you know it's something that when i drive on a site that they take care of and and i i know they take pride in that, it, it's a good feeling to pull into those sites and i know the clients and potential clients they see the same thing so um it's 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 huge so uh, that this is a very important thing to uh, pay attention to so that's all i got to say about it
2: I totally agree with that. It sets the it sets the mood. It like you like said earlier, first impression. Um, You know, when you drive down there, you know people are gonna look around. Like prime example, when I went to the Keller, when I drove in there, it's like, oh wow, they got a nice grill over here. They got that covering. It's like, wow, this is this is nice. You know, the entry was nice and clean. Gates are functional. It's stuff like that. You notice all these things, and if you know, if I notice this, I know other people who are looking to live here are gonna notice these things too. So it's just setting that expectations. Like, well, if you come here, this is how I'm going to live. Okay, that's what you're going to end up getting with. So, um, gotta keep that in mind. I think is, you know, setting the what the expectations are and, you know, what people are going to expect when they live there. This is how it's going to be.
0: All right, it's a good way to end there. I will say for those teammates that want to learn more about this, you can go to Fuse. We have a lot of topics on Curb Appeal, a lot of specific information. So just go into Fuse, search Curb Appeal. You'll find the topic and the related articles. If you're at your property and you're wondering kind of where to start or you would like some additional uh, feedback or even to have kind of an in-depth session, Great thing to do is reach out to your regional maintenance directors. These guys would be happy to come to the property, and they'd be happy to kind of discuss your specific property and strategies to improve the curb pill on your site. So, Tom and Brian, thank you guys so much for your time, and uh, we we'll look forward to chatting with you guys again here in the future.
1: Yep, thanks for having me, Forrest. Yeah, thanks, Forrest. I appreciate it. Bye, guys.